0: There's actually nothing to have meaning anymore.
1: Just give it to them. It doesn't matter.
0: At least that's what this fucking French guy figured out.
1: Is there a problem that you have right now?
0: So that's how a meme saved you $100,000. Well, I mean, not that not fun. Not that but fun. <laughs> It's the worst thing. And for that reason, I'm out. Fuck, do I have to start again? What do you mean by that? I mean, instantly when I tweeted this, I had to start defending my position to all these fucking people. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, all right, well, let's get into it. Fuck that. We're going to get it
1: done. What
0: did you get done this week?
1: What did I get done this week? Um... Nothing stands out, honestly, but we had someone quit today, okay. which actually is the first time we've ever had anyone quit. Um, so it's kind of a weird feeling. They went on to, they they just got like a different job opportunity. It wasn't like, I quit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's kind of like top of mind now, like thinking about replacing that person or do we need to. Um, also just kind of planning like end of year stuff. I think you're looking at similar stuff, but if there's any sort of like investments we need to make before the tax year ends, um, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I've been doing a lot of that. Luckily I've got like Gary, like our head of ops, like going through all of our billings now, converting as many things to like annual that we uh, know we're going to use. Cause like one, there's usually just like a, a flat discount of like 10%. And then you're also thinking like if you're in Canada, like over a half million dollars in profit you know, you're paying like 30% or something on, on any of that profit. So it's like, if you're going to use it for the next 12 months, like for example, like our Google cloud hosting and right. like our, like their, our, our data scraping stuff, like converting all that to annual saving on the tax now. And then you just have more, everyone always says though, it's like, oh, but then you just have more profit next year. And it's just like, yeah, but you just do the same thing again. And hopefully the business is bigger and there's more investments to make. And like, I'd rather have the money, um. Like, rather than sending it to the fucking CRA, I'd rather spend it on the business and then open up optionality in the new year. So I've been doing a lot of that. Um, Today, we also had like, a big, not a big breakthrough, a small breakthrough, but we should have known it. We were working with an SEO agency, and they put a bunch of stuff in our robots.txt file that just absolutely fucked us completely for, like, how we were ranking and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, we've just been doing a big SEO audit recently. We found it. And so... What's crazy is we made the change to it and we're instantly ranking again better on pages. Like oh, pages wow. that we weren't showing up on or n- we're now back. Like literally by making the change to the robots.txt file like in a day, which like never happens. Right. So that was, I was like super stoked. Where so do you
1: find way. that file? <laughs>
0: um, just in
1: case anyone.
0: So the fi- the file will be hosted differently depending on where you host your website. Gotcha. So usually it'd be like in just your main like hosting file, like whatever that is, like the index file, that'd be the robots.txt but like we're on Webflow and so there's like a spot inside for of Webflow it. for the robots at TXT. Gotcha. File.
1: Um, cool. Yeah. I, so we signed a deal with uh, a company that was uses. We, we use their API, um, and we use them pretty heavily. Um, and so we were negotiating like a contract with them this week and, um, basically our price, our price is now increasing we We've been working with them pretty much like since they started, and with that like obviously prices keep increasing, and they said you know they're not going to increase much if you do a three year contract so but it's pretty expensive like we spent i think a hundred and no well about two hundred thousand dollars with them this past year. next year's contract is for like three hundred thousand by the end of the the three year term it's about like a million dollar total deal of this contract right. which I, it's definitely the first time I've ever bought something for a million dollars. Well, I mean, it was time for a house, but like just yeah. like for like software yeah, um, or like a business contract of that size. Um, so it, it's been fun, like being on the well, I mean, not that not fun. That but fun. <laughs> it's the worst thing. <laughs> it's been interesting being on the other other side of it, but they have like a pretty big, pretty good like sales operation. And we were going back and forth, just like all these different things on the contract. Our main thing was like, we just want some optionality. Like if we're going to sign for three years, like if things change on your end, you know, how are we protected? Um, We want to roll over our credits and stuff like this. So we're going back and forth with them. And then eventually they're like, sorry, like we can't do any rollover on credits. Like we just can't do it. You hit the brick wall. (laughs) We hit the brick wall. And so I just sent like a meme of Mark Cuban and it's like, and for that reason, I'm out
0: and just sent that back. So the reply back to the email was a GIF? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On a million dollar deal. <laughs> and
1: and I feel like they've uh, probably never received seen see something like that because they were like, hey, like, uh, okay, well, like, can we work? Can we work with this? Whatever. And I just stopped answering and, and my COO then like picked up the conversation
0: and, and was like, Hey, like, this
1: is why we feel it's unfair.
0: We end up getting the, the rollover credits, but... So a little bit of, like, good cop, bad cop. A little bit yeah. of, like, honestly, I think having, like, in a negotiation, having, like, a bit of a manic player, the one sending the gift, and then the level-headed one. Yes. And the dichotomy, the, the dichotomy of that can really help. Um, I, I love think doing that. the biggest part is, like, changing the energy. Like, yeah. And I'm, like, going back to, like, a lot of, like, the Tony Robbins stuff. Like, everything he do it like in terms of getting a different outcome he always goes back to change the energy of the situation so if you're going down a certain path and you're getting a certain result like the best way to have the complete opposite result is like change the energy like drastically mm. and so like how do you and like i think that's like sending a gif as a reply for a million dollar deal is like a good way to changes do it. the energy yeah. for sure
1: yeah i just i also saw it as like these guys aren't making the pricing decision this gets like and we have good rapport with them but like by the time it reaches whatever VP of pricing or CRO is ultimately like deciding these rules, we're just like a name. Mm-hmm. And I know for me when like someone on my sales team comes to me and is like, hey, can we do this deal? And it's someone I don't know. I'm like, no, the pricing is this, yeah. this is the price. And if they don't want to do it, that they good for them. Um, but if it's someone I know or I've had a Zoom call with or whatever, um, and I, uh, there's a face behind it, I'm like, yeah, just give it to them, it doesn't matter.
0: So how much do you think the rollover credits like if like if you were to guess like how much you think the rollover credits would be worth? Um, I give like you even if you said like a 10% rollover, it's like $100,000.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It depends on what you, you use because you can yeah. you could be you could have burned like $100,000 with them. It was also like post negotiation on the actual pricing. And so like, yeah, um, I, I don't know. It's hard to put a value. It depends. But this year, I think like we overbought a little because like you really have to predict. Yeah. what your users are going to use. So we don't ultimately know. So I think like we gave up like 20 or $30,000 in credits that aren't going to roll over. So over the term, it could be like that could be like a $100,000, you know, meme.
0: So that's how a meme (laughs) saved you $100,000. Yes, (laughs) that is. All right, there's the hook. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, All right, cool. And did you want to get into the Mark Cuban stuff? Now that we're now talking that we're talking, to, Mark, talking Cuban, to Mark Cuban. Let's, <laughs> let's
1: keep going with Mark Cuban. So, Mark Cuban this week. First, earlier in the week, he announces he's leaving Shark Tank. Okay. Time has come, um, and then he is announcing he's selling a majority share in the Dallas Mavericks for three billion dollars. He bought the entire Dallas Mavericks for two hundred eighty-five million in two thousand. That's crazy. What a what a good return Dude, for such a fun investment.
0: If I'm like. This might just be like the world that we've lived in, up like in, anecdotally for our lifespan. It seems like this story happens all the time. Someone buys a a U.S. sports team, NFL, NBA, NHL, and then whenever they sell, it, it's like a crazy, like multiple, yeah. like on on like how much these these companies grow. Right. It's like absolutely insane. It almost feels like an asset class. Like once you can get into it, it's like of course. Right.
1: I I think so because I think. It's also very hard to buy a team, right? Like I think these teams have like 30, 40, 50 bidders for them, and they, they're very particular about who they allow to buy teams. Right? Have, have you seen the uh, Blackberry movie? I was just gonna bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm getting
0: all my information based on that one scene. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it d- does need to be approved by like the entire, like all of the other owners I think need to accept yeah. the new owner, um, which is, I mean, it's kind of cool, but also could mean that a lot of. Like, I bet you there's more buyers than there are. There's there's definitely more buyers for these teams. Yeah, than there are teams considering the the returns. The returns that yeah, it's seem not to like happen.
1: it's just like a fun thing that burns a bunch of money. But it's kind of interesting because like, as like entrepreneurs, you kind of think like, oh, I can like, kind of say anything. Like, I don't have the same rules that other people have of like, you know, you might like lose your job or you you right. can't like. Run for office or whatever, as like an entrepreneur, and you can kind of just like say whatever you want. But if you want to eventually in your life consider doing like things like that, like you kind of do need to watch your like presence, I guess.
0: You need like, to watch your presence, but it also depends. Like you're judged at the moment in time, I think most of the time. Yeah, like, it I depends how bad it is. It depends how bad it is, <laughs> but I, I think most of the time you're judged based on like the, you know, the most, unless you've personally fucked over like another one you know specific like right. if you if there was a specific owner that you had fucked up in a deal then he could probably like rally the other owner be like fuck this guy he's not a good person to do business with like that would be but i think general public persona i think you're mainly I, I think people forget about a lot of stuff right um and i also think more than anything i think most if you're talking about like founders i think people care about people being genuine more than anything a hundred percent most of the time and so i think as long as you're being genuine even if someone doesn't agree with you i think most founders Still respect that. Mm. It's like generally. That's generally speaking. Yeah. Definitely, these crazy fucks. that um, are like super idealistic. Right. But. Yeah. So. If you could own a any sports team in any, would it would it be NFL, NBA, NHL? NFL. Yeah, NFL is the one. Yeah. It's either NFL or MLB. I think. MLB. I I don't like watching baseball, but I just feel like, I don't know. Like I always also said that being an, a professional MLB, MLB player would be like the best because you yeah. have like the longest you have the most longevity it doesn't like fuck you up as as bad as like the other sports um but you have to work a lot like you have like oh, whatever, 180 games a, a season yeah crazy. i
1: think i think the only like downfall to football is that like there's a lot of like brain injury stuff yeah not as a player but like as like a risk like what if like it becomes illegal? There's too many things coming out, and you could actually lose value on the team. If like
0: I don't think NFL is going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, like they add some,
1: it becomes flag football, and then next thing you know, that's true. Next thing you know, it's not fun to watch.
0: Right, that's true. <laughs> um, I've got something. So do you know? Do you know who James Purse is? I think I've talked to you about him. Yeah, clothing yeah. store. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of just like the way that this guy. Like, unfortunately, there's not actually a lot of information about this guy like he's kind of a ghost it's just he's he's actually become a brand and like the person exists but like people know the brand the person mm. is very closed off he doesn't do interviews like there's literally not one interview there's a bio page on their website um essentially it's kind of like a modern surfwear brand but luxury um so like 100 t-shirts basic t-shirts um this shirt's actually james purse um <laughs> but essentially you know he kind of just like makes basics chart, at like a crazy premium, but like, they're perfect. Like, I don't know how to explain it other than it's a black t-shirt, but you're like, I want this one. There's not really any alternatives. Um, a lot of celebrities wear shit cause it's all very basic. Um, but he also has this other, I think we talked about on the podcast, he has this other part of the business, which is like home decor and things like that, where he has like $9,000 chessboards, mm. $30,000 pool tables, all this kind of stuff on and then on top of that, he has uh, a bunch of like boutique real estate. So boutique hotels in, he has a nice property in, in LA. He has a boutique hotel in Cabo. He has somewhere in Europe and it's all like James Purse style, everything like that. Um, but anyway, I had a friend who's helping, he, she has like a friend, she does like a lot of event management. She has a friend that's trying to rent his Cabo house um, in February. And so I kind of wanted to bring this up just as like crazy rich people. So is this shit. his
1: personal house? Or no, it's like a James, like a James
0: per- per- it, He's built a bunch of these properties. Okay, okay. But gosh. he builds them as his place, and like that's the story behind but they're it. Rental, the rentals. Um, so how much do you? Th- so it's a it's a property in Cabo. Okay, the quote is for I think seven to ten adults, no, uh, no children, and no food and board. Uh, or sorry, no food, just room and board. Uh, there was like a line item that was zero, so that they offer you food, but they weren't mm. doing. How much do you think it is to rent for six days? For six days. For six days, seven people. So uh, I'll just throw twelve grand a night. You it's are 80. fucking really right on. It's twelve thousand five hundred dollars a night. So oh, it's like wow. one hundred fifty three thousand dollars for six days. Oh, wow, which is kind of crazy. Um, anyway, I'm just I'm just like a good James Purse fan. <laughs> like this guy just fucking like he wins, man. Like he, no one knows who the fuck he is. He makes cool shit. For some reason, people buy it. Um. I mean, not for some reason, it's just like really well curated and it's good stuff, Um, but it also made me think of an idea I had a long time ago. Um, and so when I was running nomadic fabrics, like the e-commerce brand, at one point in the business, we had like a bunch of cash. And at the time I was very into like traveling nomadic, um, business, like whatever digital nomad lifestyle. And so one of the ideas I had, this was at the time, this is probably in like 2018, 2019 influencer culture was a little bit different where it, it to get like an influencer to post about your product that you need to pay them. But free gifting of travel was pretty easy to convince an influencer. Mm. And there'd always be influencers reaching out, being like, Hey, I'm going to be in this place. And they're always trying to get just like free accommodation in, in order to post. And so my idea <clears throat> was to get a, uh, a leasehold in Bali. And so in Bali, you can't buy real estate, but you can buy like 25 year leaseholds and they're like $200,000, $300,000. Um, and it's incredibly cheap for, for like the kind of properties you can get. And so my idea was create like a nomadic fabrics house that had all of our products in it. Because it was home decor with like QR codes on it to where you could just like shop. But then you would use it as kind of a way you just do outreach to influencers. But like, do you want a week free here? Mm. Um, and it, if you actually think about the cost of it, it's again, like let's just say it's $250,000 over 25 years. You can resell these holds. Um, And essentially, you could be getting a lot of free publicity um, by having this asset. Another idea I had was if you had this asset as like the Nomadic Fabrics House, you could use it as sweepstakes and giveaways for your normal customers as well. So you could do like quarterly giveaways for a week at the Nomadic Fabrics Mm. House. And so it's like every dollar you spend gives you one ticket into the raffle and things like that. Um, And I've I've seen some brands. I know Aloe has a house, like an Aloe house, but it's in like NLA and stuff like that. I think this is still potentially like a big opportunity. Yeah,
1: especially for like anyone in like home furnishings.
0: Home furnishers, but also like wellness. Like, you know, if you're like a yoga brand, you have like yoga mats and like wellness products. I could also see a bunch of, you know, brands collaborating to create a house together. You know, Mm -hmm. like you have like Rove Concepts do the furniture. You have Athletic Greens do supplements. You have, and Mm, you know, then they just all split it. And again, if you do it in some of these, sort of like influencer destinations like Bali, it's like incredibly cheap. The staff would be incredibly cheap. Like your, you know, a whole yeah. staff would be like m- maybe $10,000 a year. Um, or
1: or a business does it and like basically sells like sponsorships. So like... For certain weeks. You, or or like, do you want to be the official like furniture right. thing for like this house? We're going to give it out to influencers. Right. like And, and if you had like the, the influencer
0: network and stuff like that, I think it could be a really f- cool business and like fun to just have that as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hmm, interesting
0: so yeah i was like looking at that i was like man i remember when i wanted to do that yeah i remember um, you
1: telling me about this a long
0: time ago yeah like, and then idea. and then all that cash in the business quickly disappeared <laughs> <laughs> classic <laughs> so i never got to do it classic um
1: liquid death yeah I love we both death. we both wanted to bring this up yeah so um i actually uh, you want to you want to talk about it
0: I'll t- okay, sure. I'll talk about it. <laughs> right. So, okay, Liquid Death, I'm sure every if you're in marketing or, like, anything like that, Liquid Death is kind of, like, the golden child for, you know, tongue-in-cheek marketing, defining a very specific brand style that's com- that's not very, like, normalized. Like, essentially, they sell water, and they sell it, like, a death metal brand, band, brand which is really cool. And they have, like, a lot of really cool stuff that they've done over, over the years. Um, recently, and so they, they started in water, but they started... Uh, diversifying their product line into like teas and things like that Um, they released a product called the armless palmer which is obviously a play on an arnold palmer which is half lemonade half iced tea Um, anyway apparently they got sued by like arnold palmer's estate which is so funny and so what's real and i just love the absolute pivot that they did um, and they just ended up renaming the product to dead billionaire
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so good I love this, and they're running ads with that. They're
0: running ads with that, which is crazy, and I I love these types of moves where it's just like you take these sort of elitist type people who like go the traditional route of like suing you and shit like that, and if you just have like a little bit of balls, you can just turn all of these things into marketing stunts for yourself. Mm. Um, and so, I this makes me more of a liquid death stand. I'm fully in, um, and yeah, yeah, I absolutely love that's it. That's
1: amazing. This for some reason this is totally. A, unrelated but do you ever remember when cards against humanity did that like hole
0: yeah we were talking about it at the office like three weeks really ago. yeah
1: yeah so if people don't know they basically allowed donations it was like the holiday hole i think they called it yeah where you could donate online and they basically just had like uh an excavator digging a massive hole in the ground and you could donate on the site and all it would do is just fund more time of this excavator. To I think big, by the bowl. end, what it
0: ended up being was for every $7, you got one second of digging. Was it that much? Or something. It was something. I, I, I don't know what it was. It got a they, lot of money. They capped it at I think, $150,000. My favorite part, if you go back on the Wayback Machine, you can find the old website. They had this amazing FAQ section. Yeah, yeah. And the absolute best FAQ was just like some... It was like a. It was in quotes of someone being like um they were like what are you doing with this money you could be donating it and the reply was just you could be donating the money too (laughs) yeah it was just kind of just like fuck you like um again like another example of just like an amazing marketing scheme
1: yeah um there's no deeper meaning or purpose to the whole, the site reads. The FAQ also addresses the question of why aren't you giving all this money to charity? The game maker replied, why aren't you giving all this money to charity? It's your money. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it's it, like, and that was like totally free for them to do, yeah. uh, you know? And so like, yeah, I don't know. Schemes like that are just hilarious. And there's really just not that many of them.
0: I have an, I have another one, which is kind of like a fuck you to these like Internet trolls that like to comment on people that do stuff. Essentially, it's a bunch of people that don't do anything with their life trying to bring down people that actually do things. Um, so I know you like this guy as well. His name's Whistlin Diesel on YouTube. He is the best YouTube channel ever. Ever. Essentially, to summarize it, he he has a tongue-in-cheek channel with that's full of sarcasm about cars his most popular type of video is where what he likes to call durability test where essentially he takes luxury cars and puts it through i mean not just luxury cars like a bunch of different cars he puts them through their paces and just tries to push them to the absolute max um and so two of his like best videos of all time or best video series of all time uh were the it was a uh durability test for uh a G63 G-Wagon, as well as a brand new Ferrari. Mm. Both of those ended up being completely totaled by the end of the video. And maybe we'll put some clips in of like what he was doing with these cars. Um, but essentially he completely ruined a G-Wagon. G- G he caught a Ferrari on fire in the middle of a field after having it for like a couple of weeks. And he made one of the most amazing and so he also has a bunch of people being like why the fuck are you doing this fuck you and it's again it's just for content like Mm. it's literally cost of goods on on his product which is videos right but what he did was so he had this total g-wagon and a total ferrari he took the shrapnel of these cars and put them through like a grinder and just essentially grinded all of these cars up and then put them into little glass boxes and is now selling them online.
1: I didn't know that. Dude, I'm gonna I, buy s- one.
0: I sent you a link. Dude, they're they're almost sold out. There's like when I was looking uh, right before this podcast, there's six available of the G wagon and eight available of uh, of the Ferrari. And how much are they? Um, like three hundred dollars, like a hundred, like a between two hundred and three hundred dollars Canadian. And so I did the math. I converted it to USD. So when he sells out the G wagon one. Uh, He will make $172,608 in revenue selling shrapnel of the G-Wagon and he'll make $169,543 of the Ferrari. And what's funny here too, um, I know all the, car companies i don't think really like him specifically ferrari who's like notorious for suing people who do stuff like this and so the the product names on the on the website are red german suv (laughs) and uh uh, fast red italian supercar Um, and so i think this is just another example of people being like you're such a fucking idiot you caught this car on fire and he just like turns it into you know essentially two hundred thousand dollars by selling scraps yeah the plus the, plus the video revenue plus the video revenue he is, is awesome. he is hilarious yeah yeah he, i'm a huge huge fan of whistling me too
1: <laughs> he's probably the only guy i watch on I youtube i think
0: often every once in a while i'll get like a link from you at like 12 p.m at night and you'll just, or 12 a.m and you'll just be like what the fuck are we doing with our lives why aren't we doing this <laughs> i know <laughs> it just looks like he's absolutely living living the life
1: yeah oh my god i can't i i hope i i hope it's not sold out um what else happened this week? Charlie Munger died yesterday. 99. 99. Dude, being He's that close. rich and making
0: it to 99 is like, wow.
1: I saw, yeah. Well, I saw a, uh, a tweet that was like, um, Charlie Munger died at 99 and they still had to wait till after the markets closed to release his death, to announce his death. <laughs> so like he truly worked till like right. the day he died, which for sure has like some, something to do with why he lived so long.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: Staying sharp. Are you a big Charlie Munger fan? I am, actually. I'm a big Charlie Munger fan. I, I so, What's your, Do you have a
0: favorite Charlie Munger quote?
1: So what I did for this when okay. I saw you died is um, I was just kind of doing some more research um, on him. Um, and I found his three rules for success. So I thought these would be a good, like encompassing All right, Charlie
0: Munger's three three rules for success
1: okay one don't sell anything you wouldn't buy yourself
0: okay that's good
1: two don't work for anyone you don't respect and admire three work only with people you enjoy um and I feel like those are good frameworks I what I also always really liked about him and Charlie Munger is uh him and Warren Buffett they both always like had such an ethics first like approach to business their main thing was like invest in like people with integrity um and hold for the long term and like you know there it was like overly simplistic mm-hmm. um investing model that obviously worked like incredibly well, but they both talked so much about like just like in general like ethics and how much that meant in like the the business world for them um which yeah if i totally agree with and found interesting. Um, another thing I came across from him, he was like, anytime you have a problem, just do what's called inversion, which is like frame it in terms of how you would do the opposite. So is there a problem that you have right now?
0: <laughs> do I have, a problem?
1: I, I have a, I have a basic one, which okay. is just h- how do I grow my business? Okay. And so his advice is basically think, Okay. Well, how would you shrink your business? Right. It's like okay. Well, well. First of all, we want people to cancel, so we should probably you know make the product a lot worse so that people <laughs> like immediately want to cancel. Um, we should
0: make the website slow.
1: Make the website slow. Like all these different things that if you really sit down and think, okay, how would I get people to cancel? Mm. And then you kind of flip those on their head of like, okay, well, like better product, and this is kind of like a broad example, but um i don't know i feel like it's an interesting like thought exercise. i really
0: enjoy mental models like this yeah like one of my favorite charlie munger quotes is show me the incentives and i'll show you the outcome mm. and like that i feel like that applies to absolutely everything in life right like, whether it's like relationships business anything it's like okay what are the incentives if you're working with a specific person what do they have to gain from like being great and if the The incentive is isn't there. It's like okay, the outcome isn't going to be there mm. as well. Like the the outcome can't exist without the incentive, and so um, that's my favorite Charlie Munger
1: quote. Mm. Yeah, he has like a. I was watching a video today where he's talking about incentives, and you basically have to apply like, like a, I don't know what you call it, but if you're doing like archery and there's wind, mm. you have to like adjust or right. whatever. I don't, there's a word for it.
0: In an archer, over adjust. Archery I, I don't okay. know, whatever, okay. <laughs>
1: he's basically saying like you have to do the same with people's incentives. So if you're at a car dealership and the sales rep is like heavily incentivized, the car, you have to like adjust down what he's saying or, right. you know, or vice versa, um, which yeah, kind of, kind of in line with that. Um, I also came across just as I was looking at all this, this Warren Buffett 1998 speech he gave to the university of Florida, uh, MBA students. And he basically started it by saying, um, if you had one classmate and I am going to give you 10% of whatever they earn, who would you pick? Has mm. everyone pick? And then he's like, okay, what are the qualities that led you to pick them? Right. And then emulate those like qualities in your own life. And then vice versa, if you were to pick one classmate to short their earnings, so now you have to pay me 10% of whatever they make who would that be and why and I feel like everyone kind of has one in mind like you just like their personal life for who that is and you can really trace it like back to like okay what are those like qualities maybe like good leadership honest person whatever all these sort of things or like vice versa for the short one like not disciplined whatever x this and that um which I, I also found interesting
0: yeah that's good Big fan of Charlie Munger.
1: <laughs> well, that one was Warren Buffett, but yeah. Oh, okay. You want to talk Nestle or you want to...
0: I mean, I had something for your last note here.
1: Okay. Well, okay. What? what... <laughs> Just finish, finish <laughs> your notes. <laughs> okay. Well, 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 that's... Okay. This is not Charlie Munger. This is a guy named George Dorio. Oh, Have okay. you heard of him? No, I haven't heard of George Dorio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are you doing over there? So, George Dorio basically started venture capital in America. Okay. Um, At the time, he started in the 60s. At the time, if you wanted investment for like a startup, so to speak, it was either banks, which are obviously just like very conservative Mm -hmm. and they're entirely looking at like your past success and not like the merits of the idea or anything like that. It's just like, can we trust this person? And then the other option was like the handful of rich american families that like just had a bunch of money and like maybe we're going to invest in like some entrepreneurs there was no like institutions really doing venture capital okay so he's a really interesting guy and like there was a lot i was i was reading about him today but he had a few interesting points um one is the way he invested which i don't know if this is the one you had notes on, but the way he invested was he considered each company like a child. And his his thought process was like, you don't, you don't invest in a child or have a child and think like, what's the ROI gonna be on this child? And like, yeah, you might want your child to be the president of the United States, but you know that that's kind of unrealistic. And what you really want is like, for whatever the they field are. they enter them to like, be the best that they can kind of in that field. And so he always took like ten year, twenty year approaches, and he would just entirely look at the founder or the entrepreneur and, and think like, you know, is this someone I can trust? Like a child, right, basically. Right. Um, and it worked out, you know, obviously super well for him. His his company um, did super well. Um, another interesting quote he had is that just kind of made me think because you don't really frame things this way in your in your head when you're thinking about building your business but he had this quote always remember that someone somewhere is working on a product that will make your product obsolete which I was like damn
0: I think about that a lot
1: do you? yeah <laughs> I, I also think <laughs> I about just
0: like generally the market like, wh- like I think the biggest fear often is just like fuck do I have to start again sometimes when you especially if you really like what you're working on um, and so like I actually have like a lot of that uh, kind of anxiety around just hmm. being like what's happening like we both have competitors, we both have copycats. And I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on that. And then, but like, realistically, the people that you look at as your competitors aren't actually what you have to worry about. It's the people that you have no idea what they're building that just like completely leapfrog your product. Mm. Um, and I think about that a lot. And then <clears throat> what re- really goes down, like what it really like trickles down into was is when you have that level of anxiety being like, you instantly zoom out and you start thinking really, really big and be like, okay, if I was trying to dethrone myself or make myself obsolete, what would I be working on? And I think instantly you can start getting distracted in a way, Mm. but it's also like a lot of the thinking that you need to be having. And so I think it's the hardest part for me is figuring out when I'm having those thoughts, how much of my mind space should I be actually delegating to that thought? Um, How much should I be taking action on? And I actually found this really good model called like 70, 2010 model, and I've been trying to implement it recently. And so the whole idea is like 70% of your time should go into working on your core product to your current customer, um, just making it as best, as best as it can be the people you're paying you money right now, um, 20% of your product or time should be going into adjacent products services that your current customers would use, um, or, or, or like in a similar industry, and then ten percent of your time should be like moonshot ideas that won't be, um, will never see the light of day, even if they do for at least ten years. Mm. And like, I think actually putting numbers towards those is actually it, it adds constraints to where you don't get off the rails by thinking about crazy ideas. But like, I can only spend ten percent of my time on that. Right. And if you do stumble upon something that you know potentially the payback window it is a crazy idea but it isn't the 10 years it, it will be glaringly obvious mm. to you um and then you can kind of like start to put that into the 20% category if right um well, but i think it is throwing that ball as far as possible um and then be like oh fuck
1: i feel like that works when you're google and like you have 10,000 people probably more but and then like that means 1,000 you know people are dedicated to thinking about you know completely new leapfrog ideas but i feel like when you're small it's like what is 10 percent of you know your time gonna is it gonna make something that's that like innovative you know what i mean like how do you is it too early to to start thinking about that like
0: it's potentially too it i mean it really depends like i think sometimes too it can be a framework that allows you to actually just get more more output from yourself that you would have nor wouldn't have normally even had that capacity the way i think about it is kind of like dessert like we've all been in a situation where you're full at the end of dinner but the dessert menu comes around and instantly you have like a little bit more appetite and so like that's the way i think about like the 10 percent stuff like if i'm really burnt out uh, on the things that i'm working on the option is either Completely relax and right. do nothing. Or if I have like, if I if I have stuff that I'm really really excited about, um, and then potentially I haven't burned myself out on it. Like you actually have potentially more productivity in you. You just need to like, you, you need to look at it in this framework of stuff that's just like incredibly exciting and inc- incredibly high risk. Because mm. sometimes like the work that you should be doing, like there's that quote that's like, the magic that you're looking for is like the work that you're avoiding and stuff right. like that. And so that is actually what like burns people out It's just like doing the stuff that you know you should be doing. It's like monotonous. Like, you know, the outcome it's things like writing blog posts or something like, you right. know, it's just like, I know the outcome of this. We're going to get like, over the next 12 months, we're going to get 10,000 new site visitors. It's going to equal an extra $7,000 in revenue. And like, that's just like, I don't know, but like for me, I'm just like, that right. doesn't get me excited. But then thinking, Oh, like I have space to think about something that I could be working on for the next 10 years. I could, you know, completely change my life, like instantly on that Sunday night, I have a bunch of energy. Right. So, hmm. um, I mean, yeah, my notes actually, I, 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 I glazed over your notes and I just saw like, the, the line I wrote or I read was, uh, considered his investments to be children. You don't have a child to ask what the return will be. Um, I didn't read that right. I thought he was actually thinking about his whole life as just like his investments were in his children. And so I just wanted to bring up, like, I, I, I made this tweet um, <laughs> <laughs> this week that actually got, like, a bunch of replies and a bunch of likes and a bunch of, like, interesting comments. But, like, I just tweeted, like, it's becoming increasingly increasingly obvious to me that the meaning of life is to have children. Um, I think that's just something that I've just, like, noticed over, like, the last six months. Like, part of it's, um, like, people around me starting to have kids and just, like, hearing – like, also, like, entrepreneurs having kids because I think that's always – A little bit differently because i think everyone like thinks about it differently and i had to i mean instantly when i tweeted this i had to start defending my position to all these fucking people (laughs) and so it made me like think about it and so i I wanted to get your like feedback on it so one person was just like just curious why you made that conclusion and and i was just like okay like i actually have to like think of like a response that isn't just a visual reaction um and so i had like three points um you can't take anything with you. You can only leave things behind is just like a first principle rule. And so like children are like instantly like a pretty solid thing to like leave behind, mm-hmm. um, cause you can distill everything you've learned in your entire life into them. And that's like the most, uh, efficient vehicle to potentially do that. And so you take all, all of like the things that went wrong in your life, all the things that went well, and like, you can actually pass that on. Um, the second one is like anything gained is better. Anything gained is better when it's shared. And so. Inherently, like anything that you're going to accomplish in your life, having people to share it with is going to make it. It's going to be just a force multiplier, on like the joy that you get from it. And again, I think kids are like a really easy, um, stable kind of multiplier of that happiness. Um, and then the last one is just like, without reproduction, like we actually don't exist. So it's like the ultimate contribution, right? And so that's my that's my thoughts, and why I think having kids are, <laughs> <laughs> is like the meaning of life.
1: I mean. That's what the Bible says. Be fruitful and multiply is like what, what God says. But like, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's one of the meanings of life. I, I'm I'm not someone that's overly like, um, I don't think about that, like all that much.
0: Neither did I. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that, I mean, that's why, I mean, the only reason I tweeted it is because I didn't really think it like that. Right. And for some reason I had this, like, I, I just like had this thought it percolated and it wouldn't go away. And so I'm like, yeah, I think. Because I think, too, like you can just like very quickly, no matter where you're finding meaning, it's like in your business or like whatever project that you're working on. I think there's like a very, it, it takes like three thought bubbles to then just realize that it's meaningless. Um, And when doing that with like children, I think it's hard to like make that conclusion of it being meaningless.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. A, I don't think life is is meaningless without children. I mean, I think like.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I would No, no I don't say you can like I don't think it's meaningless without children. I just think like because like it doesn't exist without the act of doing it. Right. So like it, with without it there's actually nothing to have meaning anymore. What do you mean by that? So, okay. So like, if you like, like obviously your life can have meaning. Right. But life cannot continue to have meaning if we don't right. continue to have children. Well, life
1: can't exist.
0: Right. Exactly. So like inherently, like for, e- for there even to be meaning possible for like human life, right. you need to have children. Right. And so you should contribute
1: to it. Well, then you could say that just to play like doubles advocate, but you can say like, that's just like your duty. And like the meaning could still be like, you know, just let's say enjoying your own life. If someone thinks that, but you have a duty to have kids because you were birthed, <laughs> so you owe at least two births. But like the
0: meaning just disappears the moment that you die. It, whatever, like whatever you built up, it inherently just disappears, right. and then therefore all the meaning that you gained, it becomes right. meaningless.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do think it is. I do think it is important to to have kids. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same age. Um, Something a quote I found from Ogilvy that um, I think is kind of interesting. Uh, it's funny because you're in like the marketing space, I'm in the sales space and Ogilvy is kind of like this combination of the two mm-hmm. where I think a lot of these like old time advertisers were like salespeople more so because it was so much about like copywriting, less about like videography or whatever, or, like other yeah. creative stuff there is now. Um, but his quote
0: advertising is salesmanship in print which curious what you think about that i agree with that there's also another ogilvy i think it's an ogilvy quote um which is copywriting is a salesman that never sleeps mm. um and then the other one that i really like is yeah if it's if it doesn't sell it isn't creative mm. and so like, i think those three are like pretty solid have you read his like book i have yeah yeah it's really good
1: yeah yeah he he's he's very interesting and yeah it is kind of like it is the two like sales and marketing kind of like converging, um, in his like, yeah, in his book and, and what he talks about. Um, yeah. found that interesting.
0: Yeah. I've got something. Okay. Okay. Did you know the guy that designed the PT cruiser is the only reason that coffee exists in Japan? I did not know that. <laughs> okay, so, all right. Well, let's get into it. Okay. So I, I remember hearing this a long time ago. And so I went on like a deep dive to it. Um, and so, okay, so high level Japan ne- like, has never been like a coffee country, um, up until like recent times. Currently they're the third largest coffee consumer in the entire world, um, by like by country. Um, mm-hmm. and so in 1970, Nestle was kind of like also leading coffee culture in the U S and it was through instant coffee. Um, and so they were trying to break you know, the Americanized version of instant coffee into Japan at the time, Japan was only tea drinkers. And they thought that, you know, Japan was like this like ripe market for coffee because of their work culture. So I don't know how much you know about like J- Japanese work culture, but it's actually, it's crazy. Um, I've had friends that went to Japan and, and they're like, you actually see, so you, you'll see professionals, like people that work in offices sleeping on the streets And the reason for that is because in Japanese work culture, you're never supposed to leave before your boss. And so, but then there's also um, kind of like status discrepancies between them. So, uh, you know, your boss owns a car, but you have to take public transit in Japan. And so what will happen is your boss will stay super late and then drive home and go sleep, but you have to stay until the subway closes. And so you end up just sleeping on a park bench and then going back to work the next day. And it's like a common thing. Like if Mm. you're in A city center in Japan, you'll see people in suit and ties sleeping on park benches. Anyway, so the U.S. saw this and they're like, okay, um, you know, coffee, it's a stimulant. This could be a great market for us. They've launched coffee in Japan and it's like an absolute failure. Nobody buys it. And it's like they lose a ton of money. They don't know what to do. Um, And so they're really trying to figure out what what to do. And they hire this French psychoanalyst, Cotier Raphael to essentially solve this problem for them. And so what he does is he goes into Japan and he starts interviewing and and collecting a bunch of data about Japanese culture and talking to people. And so what he starts doing, is he starts analyzing um, the most sort of the the products that people in Japan have like the most admiration for, the, the products that they love the most. And then he reverse engineers trying to figure out what their first memory of that product was. And what he found was that every single product that was loved and was very successful in Japan, they were able to talk about a time in their childhood in which they had a, at least a memory, whether it was a fond memory or a bad memory. Um, so it's rather like their 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 father used to consume it or their teacher or something like that. Like they're introduced uh, to this product in their, in their youth um, and then essentially grew into being a consumer of that product. When he got to coffee, he had realized that nobody had a childhood thought or memory about coffee. And that's the reason why no one was like incorporating it into their life. Um, and so when he had this data, he went back to Nestle and it was just like, um, you know, your your target market right now actually isn't coffee drinking aged people. It's actually not the professionals that want a ca- caffeine boost. You need to shift your target market to be children. Um, and so what they actually do is, so Nestle also has a bunch of other products. And so they start launching children products with coffee flavors in them and so like like coffee chocolate um, and it instantly just become and they just dump a bunch of money into it and they make their coffee snacks be the most popular snacks amongst japanese children Um, they also did a crazy thing which was one of their um, candy products they took another step back and they produced one of the most popular animated tv shows in japan and then tied the candy to that TV show. And so think like, a, a you know, a, an anime character launches a chocolate, it's coffee flavored. Mm. Um, and then so 15 years, and so during this time, they actually removed coffee from their product offering in, in China. And then 15 years later, they reintroduced the product. Um, and then that was in, you know, the mid 70s, late 80s. Um, and then since then, then, you know, Japan's become the third largest consumer of coffee in the world.
1: That's crazy. Do you think, I mean, it sounds like I don't think that's just Japan. Like, do you think every product that people consume, like, kind of habitually, is like has to be linked back?
0: I mean, I think if that doesn't exist, you're playing hardball. But if you if it does exist, then you know, I, I think you're just playing on easy mode. Mm. Um, I, at least that's what this fucking French guy figured out. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's if if you could apply this to different products. Um, and then the you know the last sort of like little joke here is that like. Obviously, this guy had a big win uh, with, you know, figuring out how to launch coffee into China. Um, but he also was the person that led the design of the PT Cruiser using the same methodologies. And uh, we all know how that turned out. So every- <laughs> everybody has wins and everybody has losses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, like, um, I don't it reminds me, I don't know if it's like a Mercedes quote, I was just trying to find it or like a Ferrari, but like some marketer was like, oh, I don't sell. I don't sell a Mercedes Benz when someone's looking for a car. I sell it to them when they're a child and they see it when on their TV 15 years ago or whatever. Um, So I feel like, yeah, in like these kind of like, I don't know what you call these products, but like mainstream products, like so much of it probably roots back to like, how do you expose kids to it so that by the time they're adults, they want. I think it's that I
0: think I think too, for like luxury, it's even like, more prevalent like i don't know for me the like i get the most joy out of buying the things i wanted as a child but as an adult like that gives me like the most joy it's like um and so i think i think also you have what you're also playing with is when kids are young they have like a very like plastic brain and so they dream and so you can actually sell these dreams to like not that much of a skeptical through a skeptical lens you know and so if you can plant that seed then you almost have this like backdoor through their skepticism as they become old. Do you
1: remember how well TV ads worked when you were a kid? Like, oh, dude.
0: I would see that like spy thing where you open a door and it beeps and be like <laughs> I need that today. <laughs> like <laughs> That's true. I mean, yeah, like it, I'm trying to think of like where else where else you could apply this. Um but I think the way that you actually use this is if, if you if you don't have a 25 year vision or something like that and you don't have like a conglomerate that you're trying to like launch a successful product in a different country it's like how do you connect your product to a dream that someone might have had as a kid mm. or like and i think if you look at like course like gurus and core sales like they always just like get r- getting rich it's always about getting rich it's always about the lamborghini it's like you ask most adults like do they want a lamborghini like no they're kind of douchebag cars like i'd rather have like a Ferrari, or like you know, what I'm saying Whatever, like, but yeah. like, w- what works for people? It's like fucking Lambos, you know. Like, right. I, I had a, I had a, you know, a, a poster of a Lamborghini on my door when I was 13. I damn, a Ferrari. Oh damn, Ends you're, out. You, damn! I, <laughs> mine was a mine was a lime green, um, Lamborghini Gallardo, and I was actually like on Auto Trader a little bit ago, and I was just like, I could, I should just buy one of these. And just <laughs> be like, fuck yeah, they're like 80 grand, so like, it and like they're not gonna go down in value, like the, you know, like. The lime green lime, Lamborghini Gallardo was probably always going to be whatever yeah, Ethan for now. So yeah. it's like I was like man that'd be kind of a cool like full circle moment. I wonder if I still have that poster like somewhere in my closet in my yeah. childhood bedroom. I actually think I still
1: have my my red Enzo.
0: Enzo's fucking <laughs> you, Expensive. You, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I think I think like an Enzo is probably like 3 or 4 million. All right.
1: Well, one day we'll both we'll both do it. We'll go on the <laughs> yeah, same day. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anything else i think that's all i had that's all i got man (laughs) (laughs) Good. i mean i think that was a good one yeah that was good that was uh, another episode of done this week make sure to like subscribe share it we're posting clips on instagram so if you guys want to come follow us on instagram that would be sweet and uh share this episode with someone that you think might like it all right peace out